Hello and welcome to this brand new podcast. I am creating. I have never done a podcast before, but I've always um, listened to podcasts over the years. I've thought, you know what, all these blokes do a, a rambling talking about football. So I thought I might as well give it a go. And that's exactly what I am doing today. Don't actually have a name for this podcast yet. I, I still need to think of one. I was thinking maybe the Sads cast, but that just sounds like I'm a little bit depressed. But I, I, I'm really not sure what to call it. Maybe the No Name Football Podcast. It could be the one because basically what I'm going to do is, base, is uh, ramble on about football to you guys. And today, what I am doing, I have completely nabbed an idea from the James Lawrence Orcott channel, which is basically what he does. He does a series called Dream Team, I think it's called, where he gets YouTubers and fellow professional footballers on, and he talks about his dream starting 11, and uh, the guest dream starting 11. They have a discussion about that, and yeah, I, I really enjoy that series. So basically, what I've done is nabbed the concept entirely for myself, and what I'm going to do is... Basically, a little bit of an icebreaker, you know, the first ever podcast I've ever done. I'm just going to talk to you about a starting 11 of my favourite football players of all time. So, uh, basically, I'm a Chesterfield fan, a little bit about me. I'm a Chesterfield fan, uh, been a season ticket holder for, for five years. I won't be a season ticket holder this season because uh, I'm off to university studying sports journalism at the University of Central Lancashire. So, hopefully, I'll, I'll have more podcasts to come in the coming months to do with the university and stuff like that. They've got very good facilities over at UCLan, and I'm hoping to use them over there. Uh, because currently, I, um, I've i got my PlayStation headphones plugged into my laptop, and I'm recording on Audacity. And, uh, yeah, that's about it. But you've got to start somewhere, I suppose. And uh, so, yeah, that's a little bit about me. Been a Chesterfield season's kit holder for years, so this starting eleven. Contains about three or four of my favourite ex or current Chesterfield players, you know, that have really made an impact on me throughout the years. Also, I play right back on a Sunday league, so yeah, I've got a, my favourite right back of all time in there. My favourite Premier League team, I don't support a Premier League team. My favourite is um, Arsenal, though. Like, I'm, I'm a massive, massive Premier League fan, but Arsenal are not the club I support, but the the team I like the most. I went to an FA Cup game 2017, 2016, something like that against Reading at the Emirates. And as soon as I just went to the Emirates, I just thought, wow, this is incredible. Like these this is an amazing setup. It's one of the nicest grounds I've ever been to. And I'm currently wearing a, an Arsenal shirt right now. It's from the nineteen ninety four to ninety six season. I actually found it in my dad's wardrobe. It's actually worth a few quid as well. A bit too big for me, though. It's got proper Premier League patches on and everything. Worth about £160. And it was just sitting there in my dad's wardrobe. But it is mine now. And, yeah, it'll be coming to university with me. That's for sure. Oh, <laughs> voice break there. Uh, my dad was also an Arsenal fan over the years in, uh, under the, in the 80s. Under George Graham, he, he, really, he went to a lot of games there. But anyway, that's enough about me and my dad for some reason. Let's get on to the starting 11. Right, the formation I'm going to be playing 
in this 11 is a 4-2-3-1. Just for, it's not my favourite formation or anything. It's just basically to get all 11 players in sort of a natural position. So in goal is uh, going to be someone that I guarantee none of you have ever heard of unless you followed uh, West Brom's reserves in 1954. But it's the one that kind of means the most to me. And it is actually uh, my granddad, Ken Sadler. Is a goal was a goalkeeper back in the day. He's sadly passed away now. Actually, um, represented England schoolboys in 1954. Uh, they won four 0 against Scotland at either Hearts or Hibs ground, and uh, I can't remember which one. But back in the day, um, youth football games like that, he used to get massive crowds of about 30 to 40 thousand. I remember he played at Saltergate, which was the old Chesterfield ground. In the Chesterfield Schoolboys final, who won it, and it wow, it, I think there was about 30,000 people there, which for a game of 16, 17 year olds playing is unheard of. It used to be a massive thing back in the day. Unfortunately, the hype for that has uh, died down a bit. So, from that Chesterfield Schoolboys final, he actually got scouted by uh, West Brom, and all the England scouts were there because it's you know that. The, the boys' final. It's where all the all the best talent is. So we got scouted for England schoolboys, and uh, like I said, he played in front of a forty thousand crowd, won four nil. Then uh, West Brom picked him up at the time. West Brom were were the biggest club in England in like the the mid to late fifties. I believe they won an FA Cup. They just won the league. They were an absolutely huge club. So to come in for uh, my granddad was just. I mean, I wasn't there to see it, but it must have been incredible for him. And, uh, yeah, unfortunately, it didn't work out there. He, he ended up in the reserves. He ended up going out on loan. He's about th- third or fourth choice. Then um, Nottingham Forest signed him. And uh, there's some great, there's some stories about this one. Like, Nottingham Forest, he was, uh, again, about second or third choice. But this came in a day where there was, there was no substitutes at all. Like, you couldn't make any subs. So, basically, the 11 players would be the squad. And he was telling... My dad was telling me the other day that my granddad was... The manager had come to him and basically said, look, the first choice keeper's injured. You're going to play in, in, in the old Division 1, which is which is the Premier League now. And and it was Liverpool away, so it was at Anfield. It would have been incredible. A career-defining game, potentially, with thousands of people watching, the whole world watching. But unfortunately, they came and said to him, like, the goalkeeper's made a miraculous recovery and he is fit to start the game, which is unfortunate for my granddad. And then um, then he went, he had offers from Norwich and Bournemouth, but he didn't really want to relocate because he's still a young lad at that age, you know, about 21, 22. He doesn't really want to, and he lives in Chesterfield. I live in Chesterfield basically his whole life. And it's basically, it's a long way to Norwich and Bournemouth, you know, you know, and it, it's hard to get there and back, you know, the s- slow trains, it didn't have a car or anything like that. He actually got his, he actually refused these offers for Norwich and Bournemouth, which are for good money back in the day. I think it was about 5,000, maybe a bit more, which is a lot of money for the 50s. And uh, because he refused him, not as far as said, screw you, we're terminating your contract. And then... After that, he had a, a bit of a decline down the non-leagues, and uh, he played in Sunday League football for a bit. He, my dad was telling me he made a man of the match performance in, in non-league in um, Sunday League when he was about forty or fifty years old, which is just 
incredible. And the best thing about Grandad is that he's like, he's got an England cap. Like he had had an England cap. It's it's downstairs actually in a frame as we speak. There's a there's a big photo of him holding his cap in like this England blazer, and then just beneath it is the cap in a frame. And I just think it's an incredible story, really, about how um, my granddad played for the England schoolboys and he was heavily involved with West Brom, which were, which were the champions of England, FA Cup winners, Nottingham Forest. He played for these big, big clubs. He never actually made a professional appearance in you know the, the top flights, but he, probably, he made appearances in what? In the third division, which would now be League One, but... I just think it's a really cool story, and it, and it means a lot to me because, you know, it's my own granddad. He's sadly no longer with us. Um, so, yeah, my favourite goalkeeper of all time, without a doubt, Ken Sadler. He goes into the team. On to the right-back position now. My position, this is the position I play every Saturday and Sunday in Sunday League. And for me, this player I'm putting in there is the best right-back of all time. Well, the, not the best of all time, the best of my generation, the best I've seen in my lifetime. And, um, you know, I think that it, it's pretty harsh on one player because there's one player, which which is Danny Alves, who who um, is heavily in the discussion. You know, a lot of people think he's the best right-back of this generation. You know, he's got the most trophies of any player ever. And for me to say he's not the best right back of my lifetime, he's harsh. But for me, the the my favourite right back of all time is Philip Lahm. Now Philip Lahm, for me, he just oozes class. He was such a classy footballer back in the day. You know, I, I look up to him. You know, he's got he's, the technical ability of Philip Lahm was second to none. Like, he could look up, he could spray a pass. Philip Lahm, he wasn't the type of right-back to run past, you know, to, to run down the line and whip crosses in. You know, he, he didn't really have the pace to do that, like Danny Alves did. So he probably wasn't as effective, you know, going forward in terms of goals and assists as Alves. But Philip Lahm, just his ball-playing ability was impeccable now you know whether it be a five yard pass a, a 10 yard pass a 50 yard pass he'd make it 99 percent of the time uh he was just an incredible pass with the ball and, and under pep guardiola who sort of played that inverted wing back role where basically what that means is basically he'd when his team had got the ball he would cover he would move into the center of the field you know and, and kind of dictate play from there him and david Alaba would do that. Obviously, he also played as a holding midfielder as well. That's the sign of a great right-back when, you when you've got the tools to play holding midfielder in the centre midfield role. We've seen that with Trent Alexander-Arnold. He played centre-mid against Andorra for England, and he just wasn't very good. Like, he wasn't good enough. He didn't have the footballing brain that Philip Lahm did. Philip Lahm just one of the smartest players I've ever seen on the pitch. Like, his footballing brain was incredible. He always knew what to do, where to go, and he's one-on-one -on -one defended. No one ever got past him. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I've never seen a clip of anyone dribbling past Philip Lahm, like, he was an incredible one-on-one -on -one defender, like, one of the best I've ever seen in the right-back position at that, maybe, um, Cafu was a, 
also a really good one-on-one defender. That's a bit before my time. But from my generation, it's kind of um, a toss-up between Alves and Lom. Uh, sort of Alves is, you know, the less, not as good defensively, but really good going forward. But for me, Philip Lom, 652 games. He was never sent off once. You know, he won everything as well. This lad was a born winner. And the mentality to go through 650 professional games, most of them in the top, like basically all of them in the top flight, countless Germany cards. And to never get sent off. Like, I've been playing Sunday League, what, men's Sunday League's my second season. I think I've got about three yellow cards. I should have. I've made some horrendous challenges in in what about thirty or forty games of of men's football. Philip Long played six hundred and fifty at top level games and never got sent off. And that just is is a testament to the type of character he is. I think he, he's just the classiest right back I've I've ever seen and definitely of my generation. So Philip Long joins Kent Sadler in the team. Right, on to the centre-back position now. And uh, this player, not a lot of you are going to see it coming. It's my first Chesterfield player on the team. First of of two or three. And it is Sid Nelson. I, I put a tweet up about this guy recently. I put a, It was a picture of him and just said, like, I, I, like, a day doesn't go by where I don't think about this man in a Chesterfield shirt. I'm just thinking nothing of it. And my tweets normally get, what, zero likes, one or two likes at best. This tweet got 50 likes. Sid Nelson was an absolute fan favourite at Chesterfield. He joined us on loan in the 2017-18 season. The season where we had Aaron Ramsdale, Louis Reed, and like, all these like, phenomenal players. And uh, for me, it was Sid Nelson. who was my favourite in that team, without a doubt. Uh, unfortunately, this, this is the season we got relegated, and to have a player in the team on loan, who only played 13 times for us, by the way, this lad played 13 Chesterfield games, and for him to make my favourite Chesterfield eleven of all time, you must be a really special player, and uh, he wasn't. Sid Nelson was not a phenomenal player, but what Sid Nelson brought to Chesterfield was passion. You know, joining from Millwall, this lad would die for the team. He would die to get three points. He uh, he gave everything. He gave absolutely everything every time he stepped onto the field. And this was at a time where we had players like your Chris O'Grady's, like your older heads. We're branded as a type of retirement home for players who want one last paycheck in the football league. But Sid Nelson was not that at all. Came from Millwall, a young, hungry lad, and he gave everything. He he put his heart on the line every single game, and he won the hearts of the fans instantly. I'd say after two or three games, he won the hearts of the fans. And uh, what stands up for me, Sid Nelson, he only played 13 times because he got a horrific injury. I, I can't remember what he did. Like, I can't remember the exact injury, but I'll tell you how he did it. It was a Tuesday night game against Newport, and they were they were clean for on goal, and they they put it past Ramsdale, and out of nowhere you just see sliding back Sid Nelson like heroic comes out of nowhere, clears the ball off the line 
Fans go berserk, but unfortunately for Sid, he clattered into the goalpost. And I'll tell you what, the noise it made when he clattered into the goalpost, you could hear it a mile away. Like it was, the impact was so hard. And but the, this lad just didn't care. Like, like I remember, you know, instead of getting an ambulance or or or, or a stretcher or whatever, this lad. He shattered something. It had completely gone. Like, he missed the rest of the season for it. And this was in, what, about March time, April time? So, you know, he missed that two or three months' worth of action. But he walked off the... This will stick with me forever. Basically, what he did, um, he, with the help of two of the physios, you know, they, they dragged him off the pitch. He walked off the pitch after shattering something, like... In his leg, I think it was. Like, it was really, really bad injury. But what I remember most is um, he took his shirt off. He, he gave it to a young lad in the crowd. I uh, walked off the pitch into the into the tunnel shirtless. He, he's still clapping the fans. He's still roaring the whole team on. The, and uh, the fans, they love Sid Nelson. He, he's, they're going absolutely mad for him. They're going berserk chanted his name super super sid super super siddy nelson you know all, all that stuff's going on like incredible he was not the best technical player but what he gave for the for the club during that time period it certainly stuck in my heart and, and it's stuck in a lot of Chesterfield fans hearts as well and also not just that you're thinking oh he's injured he can just go back to Millwall but no he was um we played Mansfield away, our big rivals, um, and what he did, now he didn't play Mansfield away, um, because we drew that game to all, and anyway, he went to an away game on the train like a normal fan, with a massive pot on his leg, and he had a sticker on his boot saying like, no scabs, which is um, what we call Mansfield, you know, big rivalry, so for Sid Nelson to have a no scab sticker on his boot, going to trains like a normal fan, like, you could tell he absolutely loved the club, and everyone in and around the club loved him as well. Just the 13 games for Chesterfield, but 13 games, I'll not forget it, hurry. Sid Nelson, get to the team. Right, on to the next centre-back now, and this player couldn't be more opposite to Sid Nelson, if he tried, really. And uh, this centre-back is Carlos Puyol. When I look at Carlos Poyol, I just think he's just a leader, isn't he? And he captained uh, that 09 Barca side uh, for years. For years, he captained that side. In my opinion, the 2009-2011 Barca side was the best football side, best football team of all time. They they were just uh, incredible. At a time where, where Ronaldo's at Real Madrid, they've got their, their super teams, you know, Manchester United's and, and teams like that. This Barcelona side were just ridiculous. And Carlos Puyol was at the heart of that. You know, he, he's not the best centre-back I've ever seen. Like, he's, he's not the best centre-back. Like, um, if I think... One-on-one defending, like Sergio Ramos, is a lot better defender than Carlos Puyol. But what gets him into my team as is my favourite is his mentality. This lad, he, he played the game in the right spirit. Like he just, he was such, he, he was such a gentleman. Like even like with the shaggy hair and all that, he's such a gentlemanly figure in and around football. And um, 
it really helped out at Barcelona, you know, having someone like that in the in the dressing room. I remember one occasion where um Dani Alves scored a goal and, and to sent Barcelona 4-0 up and, and he started dancing with uh, with one of his teammates. And Carlos Puyol, the, the captain, and basically says it came up to him and just pushed him away and basically said, like, do not disrespect your opponents like that by dancing on them. And he gave them a telling off on the pitch. Like, to me, Carlos Puyol symbolizes how football should be played. He plays the game in the right spirit. Like, obviously, he was a big, hard player. Like, you, you don't want to mess with Carlos Puyol. Like, don't get on the wrong side of him. Like, he'll, he'll stick up for his teammates. He, he was a very physical player. Like, he'll, he'll stick a foot in, you know, he'll go shoulder to shoulder with you. Like, on the you don't want to mess with him. But one thing he, he'll always stand by, Carlos Puyol, is that he will respect his opponents and his teammates. And uh, for me, that just symbolises how the game should be played in the right spirit and with respect. Obviously, he'll do everything he can to win, but he won't disrespect anybody. And uh, for me, it's just an inspiration. I think he's, he's a is he a FIFA ambassador these days. Like He, he loves the sport. He symbolises how it should be played. He plays the game in the right spirit. And uh, it was a legend as well. 493 Barcelona appearances... He played his whole club career there, and loyalty is a massive thing for me in football. It's so rare to see a player do that these days. Started off as a right back, moved to centre back later on his career, and I believe at 27 years of age, he didn't have a single trophy for Barcelona, but he moved to centre back, and by 35, he had almost 30 or something ridiculous like that. Like he's just a, a never give up story, really, and uh, 100 caps for Spain as well. World Cup winner, Euros winner. Carlos Puyol was just a winner, but he wasn't a dirty winner. He he wasn't a obviously he was a win at all cost player, but he, he would never disrespect an opponent or a teammate or anything like that. And for that reason, Carlos Puyol goes into the team. Right onto the left back position now. And this is quite an easy one for me because of the plays in my generation, plays I've grown up watching. There's only one man this could be. I think this player is so far clear of any other left back in this generation. It's You have to put him in, really. You, you have to. And the, that player is Marcelo. He's the most complete player of my generation, you know, going forward, he's incredible, you know, he can take a man on, he's got so many skills, like, Marcel, I think, someone said, like, Marcelo could easily be a striker, or a winger, or, or something like that, like, to have the technical ability, he does, and, and the range of skills he has, and, and to be stuck at left-back, he's almost like an injustice to him, but he, this lad made the left-back spot at Real Madrid his own, and he's getting on a little bit now. I think he's, what, 34, 35, something like that. But, you know, he's still playing for Real Madrid. He's still there. And uh, for me, when they won all those Champions Leagues, uh, he was just far and away the best left-back on the planet. And uh, he had that link-up with Cristiano Ronaldo down the left-hand side at Real Madrid. They won absolutely everything together. And... Uh, 
and they were best friends really at the time uh, Ronaldo and Marcelo they had a link up that no one else had but not perhaps not the best defensively but what he offered going forward you know I think at that Brazil side like Dani Alves and Marcelo as your fullbacks like <laughs> incredible side but Marcelo for me 100% the best left back of my generation uh, I've, I've never really seen Roberto Carlos play. Obviously, I've heard g- phenomenal things about him, but I've I've not seen enough clips or, or enough of him as a player, really, to, to judge him on. Like, as the heir to Roberto Carlos at Real Madrid, Marcelo's fulfilled that role to perfection, really. He couldn't have done, done any more. He's skillful. He can... You can spray a 50-yard pass. You know, the amount of crosses he put on onto Ronaldo's head, and uh, yeah, he, he was quite quite a chill, chill out character, quite laid back. He, he never really took foot. He never really took himself or, or football too seriously. You know, he he was the prankster at Real Madrid, and I think you need one of those in every dressing room. You know, all the all these win at all cost players with, with these amazing amazing mentalities, but Marcelo. You need someone to take the edge off it a bit, and Marcelo, Marcelo did that whilst being the best left back of his generation. Like he's so far clear of it. Like you think about the best left backs in the world at the minute, you've got Andy Robertson and Alfonso Davies, uh, but Marcelo was so far clear. I think the other left back of uh, the generation was was Jordi Alba. I think they were the best two. But for me, Marcelo. Like Jordi Alba, perhaps better defensively, but going forward, like like I said, like Marcelo wouldn't look at a place playing on the left wing that, with the skill set he had and, and his ability to beat a man, his ability to to whip a ball, and scored a lot of goals as well. Marcelo scored a lot of goals, and uh, for me, the complete wing man, the complete fullback, uh, Real Madrid. Of course, he's not a one club man, but he's been at Real Madrid for a long, long time. I'm not sure how many appearances he's got, but he must be uh, about the, the nearing the four hundred mark at this point. Won absolutely everything. A great character to have in and around the dressing room. So for me, Marcelo is the best left back of this generation. He goes in to my dream eleven. So that brings to a to a halt the the defense really in this four two three one formation. So I'm just going to give a little rundown of, of the players I've got. And so in goal, I've got Ken Sadler, right back, Philip Lom. Your two centre-backs are Sid Nelson and Carlos Puyol. And uh, your left back is Marcelo. So on to the holding midfielders now. And the first holding midfielder I'm going to go for is actually the first football player I ever met in person. And uh, it's another Chesterfield player. It is Sam Morsey. And this, this, like I said, he's the first football player I've ever met. I met him in Nando's. I believe it was, it was my, uh, must have been like 11th or 12th birthday. Might have been, might have been 12. And I, I saw him in, in like the Nando's toilets. I, I walked in, you know, uh, I, I'm in my Chesterfield shirt. I might add, like, it was my birthday. I've been given the new Chesterfield shirt. I was with all my friends who were also massive Chesterfield fans at the time. And Sam Morse, he, he saw us all. He, he came over and said, like, happy birthday, mate. Like, he was such a lovely bloke. Like, he was such a nice guy. Uh, he was so nice to talk to. Like, 
like he, he could tell like I'm gonna make this lad's day by talking to him. So he's like, oh, are you, are you all right and stuff like that. Like asking who my favorite player was. So I said, I said you, because at the time, and in that Paul Cook side, this is at the time where Chesterfield were a very good side. We're in the National League now, uh, which is formerly known as the Conference. But on, when we had Sam Morsey playing in the in the Paul Cook era. 2014, 15, 16 season, we, we were incredible. We were making League One playoffs with with Sam Morsey playing, holding midfield. He had a he struck up a ridiculous partnership with Jimmy Ryan, and they also played a four two three one. They, they just swept up everything. He was such a good technical player, such a lovely such a lovely bloke. Like so nice to talk to, and uh, there's actually a photo of of us all at my birthday. With Sam Morsey and uh, one member of the Nando staff, I actually like photo bombed it. Like, <laughs> like there's, there's six or seven of my mates and Sam Morsey in this photo, and my dad's like, "Oh, you get a birthday photo with him. Get a birthday photo with him." And this Nando's waitress, she gets in the background. Up. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Like, she's photobombed. Photobombed a birthday photo with Sam Morsey. Like, like, what are you doing, love? Like, get back to work. But anyway, it's quite a funny, a funny story, really. Like, he was such an elegant player. Like, he's passing for League One. As in Peckle, like, all our chest, all Chesterfield fans knew. Like we we couldn't keep him like no matter what we did like we wouldn't be able to keep him at the club like it was it was way 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 too good for us in, in League One so he transferred to Wigan in the Championship he's he's also played for Middlesbrough in the Championship he's he's now just joined Ipswich who've had a like a like a rebuild over the summer so he so he's back in League One now he must be in his thirties at this at this point but he's represented Egypt like he's been in the squad I'm not sure if he was in the World Cup squad or not. So he's played alongside players such as uh, Mohamed Salah um, and, re- and world-class players like that, Mohamed <laughs> many as well. But yeah, for everything Sam Morsey offered to Chesterfield during that during that League One playoff push, and also for what he did to me on my 12th birthday, like coming and greeting me and all my friends and stuff like that. Like, such a lovely bloke, first footballer I've ever met, and I'm not going to forget that in a hurry. So, for me, Sam Morsey has to go in one of the holding midfielder spots. So, in the holding midfield spot, alongside Sammy Morsey. A bit of a controversial one, actually, because I said at the start of the start of the pod that uh, Arsenal were my favourite Premier League club. But actually, instead of going with big Pat Vieira in the holding midfielder spot, I've actually gone... His arch nemesis Roy Keane in there, and for me, Roy Keane is just his desire and his passion. You know, everything I said about Carlos Puyol, like having respect for your opponents, like symbolizing like how the game should be played. Roy Keane he is win at all costs. Also, when I take to a football pitch, like I want to win, like a bit similar to Roy Keane, really, like I will do anything to win, literally anything. Because for me, if I if I lose a football game or, or even draw a football game, like I'm just in a bad mood for the rest of the day. So I will do absolutely anything on that football pitch in order to win. And Roy Keane is the same. You know, he's, he was the captain at Man United under under Fergie. They had a famous fallout, but 
he just set standards so high. I, I reckon that's why Man United was so successful at the time. Like Fergie and Keno, they set ridiculously high standards. Like they wanted everything done in a certain way, and if it wasn't, well, they, they were punished for it. You know, you had the hairdryer t- treatment with Fergie. You had Roy Keeney. He shouted at basically everyone, like everyone who played for Manchester United had the Keno and Fergie treatment at some point. And uh, it's, it's old school. It's really old school. But I don't mind that. You know, you see it a lot in modern football. You you get players who are pampered, you know, the likes of Paul Pogba and Man United. Like, is Ollie really going to have a massive go at him? Like, no, I don't think so. But, but I don't see a problem with... Uh, the hairdryer treatment and stuff like that, like with Roy Keane did at all. And also, he's like an old school character. I love him. I love him. He did the basics well. Like he, he was a fit. Also, what doesn't get talked about Roy Keane? Yes, he was this odd man in, in centre midfield, but it was a phenomenal player. Perhaps like obviously outshone by like just of Scalzi, Giggsy, and Becks in that famous Man United midfield. Seeing like he's playing alongside three of the the best technical players of his generation there, but what doesn't get talked about enough is Keno's technical ability. Yes, he puts a tackle in. Yes, he won headers, won tackles. He was a bit of a thug. I think he had nine red cards, something like that. And um, but his passing ability, his dribbling, like he could draw. In his early days, Keane played further forward, you know, from Nottingham Forest, and when he first joined Man United, he was a bit of a goal scorer from midfield, Roy Keane. But with the talent alongside him, he kind of took a backseat role, you know, playing home in midfield, and he's he's a Man United legend and a, and a club legend. Like, also as a pundit, I, he gets a lot of stick as a pundit, but I think I really like him because he's one of the few pundits he just says what what's on his mind. Like you, you've got the famous one with um, it's, it's two yards, Gary, two yards, man, and and uh, like you've got to have desire. And also there's the famous one with uh, with Jamie Carragher when they're talking about their dream elevens, and uh, and the Carragher goes, "Kicks, he's not going in my team." And Roy Keane's like, "Really, really?" And uh, there's also another one, um, the the David De Gea one. He's like, I'm getting really fed up of this keeper now. He, you know, I wouldn't let him on the coach on the way home and stuff like that. And um, stuff like, like just it just shows like how high his standards were as a player. Like he physically wouldn't let De Gea and Maguire on the coach home. I just think that's brilliant. Like he gets a lot of stick for his like old school punditry, but I I really like him. And you can also tell how much he loves football. In uh, and how she loves Man United, despite the fallout with uh, with Fergie, you know he left the club on bad terms. But you could tell from his punditry and his playing days how much he loved and cared about the club. But you don't really see that anymore. A bit similar to Sid Nelson with Chesterfield. Uh, I can't believe I've just compared them to, but yeah, just, just players who love the club and love football. And also, what really stands out for me is that an incredible play. You know, his, his semi-final performance. In the the Champions League against Juventus in '99, when they went to win it, I believe he was suspended for the final. I think he's come out and said, "Right, basically, I, I may not be able to to win the final for us, 
But in the semi-final, I'm going to do absolutely everything in my power to get us there. And he did. He put in a man-of-the-match performance against the UV side, like Zidane, you know, the phenomenal Juventus side. And Roy Keane and Manchester United beat them. And uh, we all know what happened in the final, you know, winning, winning the Champions League in 99. So for me, Roy Keane with his passion is... Um, his mentality, that the high standards he sets for himself, he's, he's no filter punditry. Like his ability to just do the basics very well, and uh, for me that means Roy Keane is my favourite Holland midfield player of all time, alongside Sam Morsey. He goes into the team now. Let's uh, get on to the, to the more attacking options: the the left mid, right mid, centre attacking mid, and striker. So coming in at the right mid spot, and I am so excited to talk about this guy. I could talk about this player for hours and hours on end. And for me, he is my favourite player of all time. And for me, without a doubt, he, he's the greatest football player who has ever lived. And it can only be one man, and it's Lionel Messi. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of debates going on about about Messi or, or Ronaldo. And for me, it's Messi, 100%. For me, he's the best passer, he's the best dribbler, he's the best finisher, he's the best playmaker of all time. And uh, every time he just gets on the ball, like, uh, he, he just makes your mouth drop. Like, that, he can do anything on a football pitch, like... Uh, um, I saw, I think, Gary, uh, Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville on Monday Night Football, they had a, a debate on Messi versus Ronaldo. And um, Carragher was saying how Messi can run a game and um, how Ronaldo, he, he does things that other players can do just a lot better than every other player. But Messi, he can do things that no one else can, like, ever. And for me, he's just the best player of all time. He, he's... To be the best passer, dribbler, finisher, and playmaker of all time, like he's, for me, that makes him the most complete player of all time. And uh, when I watched his PSG debut, like I didn't watch the rest of the game. Like I'm going to be honest, like I did not watch the rest of the game as soon as Messi came on. I just followed Messi, and I'm, I'm guessing I'm not the only one who's done who did that when he came onto the pitch, because like he was just so invested into this player. Like, he's just magical. He's magical. Like, some of the goals he scored. Like, he scored um, the one against Getafe in about 2007. The one in the Copa del Rey final against uh, Athletic Bilbao. His Champions League semi-final goal against Real Madrid where he ran past the whole team. Three kicks against, against Liverpool. And, you know, I can't remember who it was, but a few seasons ago, he, he scored a hat-trick and there were three of the most incredible goals you've ever seen. Like he he's, it might have been Raul Betis, or he edge of the box, the ball just came to him, and he he chipped the goalkeeper, and and the, it was a way at Real Betis this game, and all the Betis fans just stood and clapped him because he because they knew they'd just seen something so so special. He's still breaking records to this day. We'll we'll never see a player like Lionel Messi ever again. Like if even if you listen to commentary, like. Like the commentators are blown away by him. It was the, it was the one commentator in the league. I can't remember his name. Ah, uh, oh, his name's escaping me now. 
But like some of the stuff that all the commentators are saying about Messi, like I remember when um, he scored the free kick against Liverpool in the Champions League, and there, there was that clip where Gary Lineker and Rio Ferdinand they just started hugging each other. Like they're not Barcelona fans, not Liverpool fans, but they, they they're just football fans. They just started hugging each other because Messi had scored one of those beautiful goals you're ever gonna see, and. Uh, and the commentators, I think he made, he literally made a commentator cry once because one of these goals he scored was so good. Uh, he's, he's blowing people away. He's still blowing people away at the age of 34. And uh, he's, this player is the only player where seeing this guy live is on my bucket list. Like, the things I've, I want to do before I die, I've got a bit off topic here, but seeing Lionel Messi live is genuinely on there because for me he's my favorite player of all time he's the best technical player uh, I've ever seen and the, and for me there's not really a debate because a, a lot of people say Ronaldo's you know he's, he's a more complete player I disagree like Ronaldo's a better header of a ball well, like for me if you get Lionel Messi on the ball there's so many ways he can punish you like right now if Ronaldo's on the ball all he can do like he can drive out of defence very well, and he can finish. But for me, if Messi gets on the ball, he's got the options to to play a defence splitting pass to to you know to, to like for Kylian Mbappe, and he's still got the ability to drive out of defence, take on four or five plays and stick it in the back of the net. And for me, like when he's on the ball, people defend. He just scares defenders, and I don't think you can you can say that for Ronaldo. I think. Obviously, Ronaldo's one of the best goal scorers of, uh, of all time, but he's more like in the box. But if you saw, if you compare the debuts of of Messi and Ronaldo for their for their new clubs, yes, Ronaldo scored two goals, but Messi, like, play, he was on the pitch for twenty minutes, and players were just force feeding the ball. Like as soon as they looked up, like all the PSG players, and and also let me just say, this is a PSG side who are um, one of the best teams in the world, probably on paper the best team in the world, even before they had Messi. But the fact that they're part of this, the, the best team in the world and they're still force-feeding the ball. Like Every time they look up, they're trying to get the ball to Messi because they know what he can do. And um, yeah, he's, he's the greatest player of this generation. He's got the most Ballon d'Ors. I think he's he's set to win another one this year because he's he's finally won that Copper America. He's that was the thing with Messi that he never he's never won an international trophy. Now he has. He's got that that thing off his back, and he, he carried Barcelona, uh, He carried Argentina to that. Sorry, uh, he was part of the best Barcelona side of all time. And for me, I could talk about Messi all day. Uh, uh, for me, he's he's the best player of all time. No doubt, and and also from what he does on the ball, he's just my favourite player of all time. So without a doubt, my right midfielder is Lionel Messi. On to the central attacking midfielder in this team, and for me, this player is isn't makes the team as you know my favourite attacking midfielder of all time. Not just because of what he did on the pitch, but because of the legacy he's left behind and, and his off the field work and everything this man has done for football. And that player is three time Ballon d'Or winner, Johan Cruyff. He was the 
the star player for the for the Dutch side in the in the seventies and eighties. You know the, the total football side, which um, which would later become his his own tiki taka at Barcelona. He, uh, like this total football Dutch side, like it was the most. It was the first team just to to play like this style of football, like really good passing football, like getting everyone involved, like like passing it around and stuff like that. And it's led to the some of the greatest sides of all time using it. And uh, you know he didn't just do that. He didn't just if if that wasn't enough, he, he made his own skill. The the Cruyff turn. Uh, he's got skills named after him. He's got state, the um, Johan Cruyff Sports Arena. Ajax's ground is, is named after him. He's got statues. Like, this man, uh, sadly, uh, lost a battle to cancer in 2016. But Johan Cruyff is immortal in football. Like, he's become immortalised. And I don't think you can say that for many other players. Like, I don't think he's had the legacy. Like, this man has had a bigger legacy on football than anyone else in history, I think. I think that's fair to say with everything he's done on and off the field. He wasn't just the best player in the world. But um, he was also... He built the frameworks for Tiki Taka. He was uh, Pep Guardiola's mentor. Like Pep Guardiola, the best coach in the world. One of the best coaches of all time. Who mentored him? Johan Cruyff. That adds further to his legacy. I mean, it, that means if it wasn't for Cruyff, we wouldn't have Pep Guardiola. We wouldn't have Tiki Taka. We wouldn't have that 2009 Barca side. Barcelona, you know, one of the biggest clubs in world football. Well, we wouldn't have that same Barcelona if it wasn't for Johan Cruyff. So we can, we owe Johan Cruyff all of that stuff. Also on the pitch, you know, Ajax, Barcelona, he won the Champions League at Feyenoord. He's, he won everything, pretty much. He, he never won a European uh, trophy with... Um, with his Dutch side, with that, with uh, that great Netherlands side of the seventies and eighties, but it doesn't really matter because if it wasn't for Johan Cruyff, we wouldn't have Pep Guardiola. We might not have Lionel Messi. We wouldn't have Tiki Taka, and we wouldn't have been introduced to you know the Cruyff turn that he created himself, which is still used to this day. Like I help her out. I do football coaching with my dad on a Saturday morning, um, and then, then this skill was made in the, in the 70s, and we're still and we're still teaching kids today uh, about the about the Cruyff turn. I see last Saturday my dad was doing a session, a skill session where he was uh, showing kids how to do the Cruyff turn, and basically showed the kid showed all all these kids the the, the Cruyff turn. These kids about seven or eight years old, and and he's he's gone to him so. There was a player who created this this turn. Let me show it to you. So he did the Cruyff turn, and um, and does anybody know who came up with that skill? And literally everyone's every kid's hand went up and said Cruyff. And these kids are seven or eight years old, and they, uh, and so Cruyff's legacy has had an impact on them. Like Johan you know, Cruyff's legacy has had an impact on everyone in football. That's a fact. That's just off the field. You know, he, he's got. The Ajax Arena is named after him. He's got statues. He's just the most incredible football player. Not of all time, but his legacy. like The legacy of uh, Johan Cruyff will live forever. And uh, for that reason, he goes straight into our team.
Right, just the two players to go now, and we move on to our left midfield, and it's our third and final Chesterfield player in the eleven. This man, um, left mid. I think if you're a Chesterfield fan, you probably know know who's coming. You know the the flair player of the Chesterfield side, uh, the playoff side of 2015, and that man is Gary Roberts. This man. Like I said, he, he was the flair player in League One. He he, he was a he was a phenomenal player. Like his ability to beat a man, an absolute wonder of a left foot. Now his crossing ability, cross balls into Owen Doyle for fun, and uh, his his passing, his long range passing, his ability to beat a man, too good for League One. Uh, same with Sammy Morsey, really like. We knew this guy was too good for League One, and he eventually did. I believe he went to Portsmouth. So when we had him, he, he was getting on a little bit, you know, approaching 30. He just wanted to settle down somewhere. Went to Portsmouth in the same league as us, I believe. He, he did get his move to Wigan in league, in the Championship, sorry, under Paul Cook, which is, you know, on his day is where he where he should have played. Like, he was a Championship quality, quality player. And... Uh, it's just absolute wonder of a left foot, and uh, he played sm- football with a smile on his face. Like he made sure the fans got their money's worth. It was always one to you know beat a man, take him on. He, he put on a show. He, this Gary Roberts for Chesterfield, he really did put on a show. And um, like I remember on one occasion, he uh, I can't remember who it was against, but the referee wanted to talk to him, and uh, he literally. Pulled the shorts down of the opposition player right in front of the referee. <laughs> I think he got a yellow card for it. But Gary Roberts was just a man who played football with a smile on his face. He never took football too seriously, and uh, that's what I like about him. You know, you've, you've like we were saying earlier, we had all these in the Chesterfield side. We had all these players who wanted to win at all costs, like Evo and, and Sam Hurd at the back, for example. Liam Cooper was. Was in in the mix as well. Who's now playing for Leeds in the Premier League, but uh, players who would die for the club. Then you had Gary Roberts, who uh, he just took the edge off it a little bit. He played football with a smile on his face, and he put on a show every time he um, every time he he entered the in the field. I remember he scored from his own half once in a game at the Pro Arts at his Chesterfield Stadium. Like this man. If you want to get your money's worth, Gary Roberts will give you that money's worth. Because the, over the recent years in Chesterfield at the National League, you get some players and some styles of football that are just so boring to watch. Like the, the long ball to Chris O'Grady. The long ball to Big Tom Denton, who is an absolute legend, by the way. But I, I love Big Dents. But the style of play we used under him wasn't very good. But Gary Roberts, he'd get on the ball and he'd take a few men on. He'd put on a show. And and, uh, and uh, those type of plays stick with you, really. The, the ones who uh, put on a show and give you the money's worth. And uh, he's recently retired. So I uh, wish him all the best in his retirement. But for me, I left midfield. The Chesterfield player that sticks in my memory as the one who always puts on a show. He's... Uh, the flair player, who also had an absolute wonder of a left foot, he's crossing, he had a very good weak foot as well. So that player for me, on the left-hand side, is Gary Roberts. Now, the, the position we've all been waiting for, 
the striker, the man who leads the line in this team of my favourite players of all time. And I'm wearing an Arsenal shirt right now. And uh, this player was an Arsenal legend. He's their top scorer. And for me, without a doubt, he is the best striker in Premier League history. And so, welcome to the team, Thierry Henry. Like I said, best striker of the Premier League era, no doubt. Such a complete player. Like, if you talk about a Premier League player who can be, like we were saying with Messi, like, who can be a man, who, who, can, who can finish his dinner all day, like, you never really saw him missing any sitters or anything like that. He, he was just a born goal scorer, and his ability on the ball to beat a man. And also his playmaking abilities were second to none, I believe, as well as uh, what well, he's won four Premier League Golden Boots for the top scorer, more than anyone else in history. I believe in 2002, 2004, 2005 and 2006. But he also has the record, I'm not sure if he still does, he did hold the record for the most assists in a Premier League season. And, and we're talking about a striker, a talisman. You know, this lad is... Um, the fourth top scorer in Premier League history. He's Arsenal's top scorer of all time. And he's out here breaking assist records as well. And that's just testament to how complete of a forward Thierry Henry was. He had that built um, link up with Dennis Bergkamp. You know, he, he was so quick as well. Thierry Henry's pace was so frightening. Like, he was quick, he was strong, he could finish, he could dribble. Like, and the lad had absolutely everything. And you talk about Premier League strikers of all time. You've got the likes of, you know, Alan Shearer, who's who's broken all the goal records. You know, he's famous 260 goals. But he wasn't half the player Thierry Henry was, and I think he'd uh, happily admit that as well. Alan Shearer, he's a player who, who put the ball in the back of the net. And uh, that's kind of all, all he was good for. But Thierry Henry, he, he, he had so many strings to his bow. Like, he could do everything on a football pitch. Like, his goal-scoring record was second to none. 175 Premier League goals in 258 appearances. I believe he has the, he had the highest or second-to-highest goals-per-minute ratio in the Premier League history, as well as bringing in other players to score, like, in the, with the assists as well. You know, he's an Arsenal invincible. He's the most Premier League golden boots of all time. And also, away from Arsenal, we've got... Not, we can't just forget that. Like, this man has a career away from Arsenal as well. He uh, signed for Barcelona, uh, as I've said previously in this podcast, I've said the 2009 Barca side, in my opinion, is the greatest side of all time. And the front three was Thierry Henry, Lionel Messi and Samuel Eto'o. Uh, so Thierry Henry was in there. Uh, New York Red Bulls, I believe he's their top scorer and top assister of all time as well. I know it's the MLS, but he was still doing things at the age of 35. And he came back to Arsenal uh, sort of a fairy tale story there. Scored against Leeds, I believe it was. Like this man is a role model on and off the pitch. He's an inspiration. He's now moving into into management. So good luck with him there. So, but without a doubt, my favourite striker of all time, the best striker in of the Premier League era. Of course, you can talk about Sergio Aguero. Very good player, but it, for me, Thierry Henry was a more complete forward. Same with the, the likes of Wayne Rooney, who even moved back into, into centre midfield later on in in his career at Everton and uh, these latter years at Man United. So he signed a phenomenal goal record, but for me, Henri was a more complete player. 
he, he was the scariest player in, in Premier League history, I think. Uh, not scary in the sense of uh, Roy Keane scary break your legs with every tackle, but but it's just a defender's nightmare. I, I think every defender that you that you hear talk here on interviews, like your Jamie Carragher's and players like that, say and Gary Neville, he said you always feared playing against Arsenal because they had Thierry Henry and he was he could hurt you in so many ways. He was so quick. He was so he was so strong. He was so composed. He, his dribbling ability was incredible. Like this man could punish you in so many different ways, and um, he's a Premier League Hall of Famer, and for me, the best striker in Premier League history. And my favourite, like it was so elegant to watch. Like, like Thierry Henry, he, he was in his prime when I was when I was a young child, so I didn't really get to see too much of him, but. Uh, I'm actually out seeking to watch every time there's a there's a Thierry Henry thing on the television, like a like hundred like Premier League hundred club where they show all his goals in the Premier League. I'm always watching it, like the Premier League years series, like the two-hour documentaries they do in each season, any Thierry Henry season. I'm always watching it, like absolute Arsenal legend, most goals in a single stadium at Highbury. So uh, for me, without a doubt, Thierry Henry is the striker. For my team, and that brings to a close my team, my uh, favourite eleven of all time. I'll give you a quick rundown of the team now. It was Ken Sadler in goal, Philip Larmer right back, your two centre backs and Nelson, Sid Nelson that is, and Carlos Puyol, and left back is Marcelo. My two holding midfielders in the four-two-three-one formation: Sammy Morsi and Roy Keane. With Lionel Messi, my favourite player on the right. Johan Cruyff in, in the, in the centre-attacking midfield role. Gary Roberts on the left and Thierry Henry up top. So, yeah, that's my team. I'll be interested to see what anyone else's team is. Uh, just drop it in the comments. And so, yeah, this has been my first ever podcast. Hopefully the first of many to come. We're actually on 57 minutes 30 seconds, which is way longer than I thought this was going to be but I've loved filming this I've absolutely loved it it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you guys today and uh, hopefully see you on the next podcast very soon